Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. This week, we are delving into the last portion of what really comes against us as Christians. Yes, probably the number one effectiveness killer that we face as Christians is this aspect of the fear of man, this uh, picture of fear. And one thing I want to qualify that with is that the solution, which we will talk about, is actually quite simple. You know, we think of fear of man, but I think some of us are more aware of fear of man in our lives. I think a lot of us are unaware of how vastly this affects our actions, what we say and what we do. Mm-hmm. Some of the ways it can be subtle is that you're still going to be bold and say what you need to say, but you're going to give so many disclaimers because you don't want to be misunderstood. You don't want to be misquoted. You don't want them to think of you wrongly. Mm-hmm. And you're still trying to be in control of their perception of you. Right. But if we look at Jesus, what did he do? Um, he didn't give too many flips about what people thought of him (laughs) he said some provocative statements eat my flesh and drink my blood with no explanation it's like yep there it is he was he was not afraid of people thinking wrongly of him Mm -hmm. you know it says he was led as silently as a lamb to the slaughter he didn't try and over explain what i mean by that is this Mm -hmm. do you say that you are the son of god uh you say that i am (laughs) yes Deal with it. So the way that this can look in our lives is it can war against our boldness. Absolutely. I would like to clarify my perspective of the difference of boldness and courage. Courage is pushing through fear in spite of fear. And I think we should all be courageous um, regardless of the situation. But boldness is, I would say, more transcendent. Boldness is there is no consideration of fear. That there is no fear in the attitude and the actions that we take. If anyone struggles with timidity, they struggle with shyness, there's a very strong root of caring about how you're perceived by others. Right, and I think that is probably more of a concern here in the West than um, in the East or in the South, and I'm talking about globally. There's far too many people who care about how people view them. And they feel like they have some type of validation or a credibility of worth established by how other people view them. Right. The other direction it could go is the false, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what they think. I don't care right. what they do. And that's actually pride. Yeah. Well, that's a protection because there is actually a concern for how other people view you, but I'm going to be arrogant in my position and then i'm just going to turn to apathy and say no it doesn't matter what you think i don't even care and that is the opposite of humility and so we know it's not stemming from truth we know it's still stemming from an unhealthy place arrogance and pride is not from the lord and a lot of people confuse this with no i'm i am doing as i've been told i'm being bold i'm not caring about what other people think well Actually, you are if it's coming from a place of arrogance. You actually do care about what other people think if you're going to be proud and arrogant because now you're trying to overcompensate for that fear and put on a bravado to protect yourself from um, hurt and how other people will judge you. 
Another way that people do it is over-explanation. In the multitude of words, I can mm-hmm. convince them what I mean. Yeah. And what is so so frustrating on my end, because I'm, a, I'm an explainer, right? I'm a teacher. I'm a person who likes to use big words. I like to explain things. I like, and, and this is what's so interesting from my point of view is, I, I care so very much about how things are explained, that there be clarity, that way there be understanding, um, to such a great extent that I will over-explain to try and persuade someone, and I will err in this area of wanting to control how people understand me because of a good desire of wanting to explain truth well and clearly. And I actually go the other direction, and I recognize that I'm not this amazing orator, that I, I'm not good at explaining things in a way to protect myself. And so because I know that I'm insufficient in being able to cover my back in all the different ways I could be accused, I used to let it silence me because it's like, well, I'm going to be misunderstood, so I'm just going to close down. I'm going to hunker down, I'm going to be quiet, I'm going to be still, and I'm not going to step out. And the way that I was released from that was recognizing Jesus, recognizing what he was like, recognizing that he didn't try and cover his back, that I have to be okay with being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. I have to be okay with people thinking wrongly about me because Jesus was okay with it. Right. And that I still have to do and say what he tells me to do and say, and people, you know, accusing me, coming against me, blaming me, persecuting me, is not my responsibility mm-hmm. to manage. Right. So here in these areas, we've covered a vast array of people's perceptions. And so uh, a fear of controlling the narrative, so to speak, controlling how people view you. But then there's also, on top of that, a fear of failure, which is culminated with letting down God, letting down yourself, or letting down other people, and that is still a fear of man. Yes, Casey, and I, I love that you brought up the heart. The heart behind fear of man is root, can be rooted in different things. Yes. But I'm going to explain this first to say you can't – trigger an emotion in someone without a belief already being there to trigger. For instance, I have a nose ring. I'm I'm a pastor's wife or a ministry leader, whatever you want to call me. And Harlot. if someone would come at me and be like, that's ungodly, you shouldn't have a nose ring. I wouldn't feel attacked. I wouldn't feel condemned. It would actually kind of be like, okay, well, we see things differently. Mm-hmm. Like, you it's know, not that big a deal. I feel like you're kind of maybe legalistic. I'm not being defensive. I just really don't have that conviction. Mm-hmm. So I am not defensive about it. I'm not angry. I don't feel upset. But if deep down I already thought that was a sin, I already thought maybe I'm sinning by doing this, mm-hmm. and someone says something to me about it, then that belief that I, I might be wrong, I, I'm already convicted, gets triggered by that other person, and then I have an emotional reaction. And then I feel attacked or then I feel whatever. I am only able to be attacked and feel triggered by something that deep down I'm already feeling. I'm already believing. So fear of man is already stemming from a place of belief. One thing to clarify is that our reaction to 
to what other people might say or to what other people might do. Our reaction is going to be an indicator of what we believe. Especially our emotional reaction, which might not be evident on the outside. Yes, our, our innate emotional reaction is going to be much more, well, how can I say it? It's going to be much quicker a reaction because it's innate within us. Right. And so if someone says something and it doesn't stir us up, we can actually see with understanding that, okay, well, they, they're they just seeing this differently. I'm going to give them grace. I see where they're at. It's not my job to convince them that I'm right. That would be pride. And I can be okay with that. And so that's a reaction that's driven by peace, by understanding, by giving grace. But if you have an emotional reaction that's like defensiveness, I'm not understood, I need to explain to you where I'm coming from so that you can validate that I'm not wrong, things like that, then it's really coming from a place of something inside of me is getting stirred. And many times fear, whether it's fear of man, fear of rejection, fear, whatever fear it is, is stemming from a deeper place of not feeling safe. And that conclusion of not feeling safe is you, there's conclusion, sorry, I should say this, not feeling safe and not feeling safe stems from some deeper conclusions that we've subconsciously started believing about our worth, our value, our acceptance. And so if we completely feel secure in the Lord and accepted by him and that we have value, that we have purpose, and we see ourselves in this big, safe daddy's arms, this rich daddy that we have in heaven that's going to protect us and provide for us, then we aren't worried at a barking dog. We aren't worried at someone accusing us because we feel so loved and accepted. But if in our minds we're already kind of feeling that maybe God's disappointed with us or that we are wrong or bad, we have this underlying shame or something like that, then that's what they're triggering. What is so necessary for us to believe is this understanding of how God views us. And you're, so you're really, you're really drawing out this picture of our identity, that our identity is first and foremost absolutely necessary for us to comprehend and not just comprehend as an ideal, but to apprehend as an experience, that it is us as the child of God loved even in spite of our failings, even in spite of the fact that we were once enemies to God. He loves us unconditionally. He's died for us. We are now his children, and we are co-heirs with Christ. The whole picture of our identity and our value in what Jesus has done for us is absolutely necessary. But there can also be a mental assent, as I said, a comprehension that that is true, but yet experientially there can be a fundamental root of belief that is contrary to that identity. And what I think is very practical and necessary for us as believers is for us to believe even in spite of how we feel because we know it's true. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a deeper revelation that can come through that identity and recognizing who you are, but I think practically for you, if you have not had that encounter, that there needs to be this trust that needs to be built in us. I'm all about the practical, so let me give you a, an analogy to kind of explain what Casey's saying. If you logically love Jesus, you know the word of God and you know all the scriptures that say like my father owns, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll never leave me or forsake me. And so we logically know he's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us that we're not going to go hungry. There's all these promises in the word of God in Psalms 37 about the righteous children aren't going to beg for bread and things like that, that we're going to inherit the land. There's so many things, but you lose your job. 
and you don't know how you're going to pay the mortgage at the end of the month and your emotional state is upset, worried, then emotionally it's pointing to the fact that deep down you're not really believing what you are logically saying that you believe. Because if you really believed God's going to come through, I can rest, I don't need to worry, then you wouldn't worry. Mm -hmm. So emotion is a flag that, hey, there's a, a deeper subconscious belief, an emotional brain belief coming from our experiential knowledge that's warring against my logical knowledge, which is biblical knowledge, which says God's going to take care of me. What we need to practically draw ourselves into a place of encounter with the Lord is to trust his word. I will say that we should choose to come against what we're feeling emotionally with logic. Choose to, even when we're worried, to not freak out and to believe the, the truth. And and so that's what Casey's saying. He's saying that that even whenever we have this underlying emotional thing that's warring against the truth, that we have will and we have the ability to choose to trust, choose to do this even when we feel worried. But what we're also saying is that there's a deeper healing, that there's a deeper revelation of God's goodness, a deeper encounter with him, which leads our hearts into an experiential knowledge with him of knowing we can walk on water, of knowing that we're safe, even whenever financially it looks like we're not safe, and that our emotions actually line up with that. We actually have true peace, not apathy. We actually have true hope not like toxic positivity, like ignoring what's going on, but like we have these true fruit of the spirit stemming from our heart that confirm what we biblically know to be true also to be what we experientially know is true as well. So you've heard an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, a proverb a day keeps anxiety away. Just came up with that. I'm going to market that. That's mine now. The fear of man brings a snare but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That is Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. To place your trust in someone is a hope and a desire that it doesn't matter what's going to take place. They're in control. They have the ability. They have the authority. It's out of my hands at that point. I'm going to trust that God has me in a safe place. And so it might feel true that if I appease these men, then I'll feel safer because them not being happy with me or them coming against me feels very unsafe. And this scripture says exactly the opposite. It says the fear of man will actually be a snare to you, but to trust the Lord will keep you safe. And so in our reality, in our tangible experience here as humans, it feels unsafe when people come against us or they're mad at us or they have bad opinions of us. But in God's realm, that is a snare to cater to that, to try and appease that. And instead, we should choose to trust the Lord, which feels harder, feels more scary. But in reality, it's the safer thing to do. To continue on this picture, when you are afraid of failure, it will ultimately lead as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that, oh, I'm afraid it's I'm going to fail at this, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to attempt. And so when we do that, it becomes that prophecy coming to light in our life because now we're not attempting to do it, so therefore we actually do fail. Right, and so that might look like I'm not going to be able to do this job I was hired for. I'm just not good enough to do it. I, I think I'm going to fail. 
And because I think I'm going to fail, I'm not going to try my hardest because I don't want to be let down and disappointed if I try my absolute hardest and prove myself to be right. And so I'm going to not try hard. Ultimately, that's going to lead me to fail and prove what I already believed. I know a lot of people who have never achieved their lifelong goals because they're afraid to fail. And guess what? You keep lowering and lowering and lowering your goals until they're achievable at the bare minimum, which is living a mediocre, sustained life. Which is not a life of trust in the Lord. It's not a life of abundance that he's called us to, which, and I'm not talking about financial abundance. I'm talking about freedom of anxiety, freedom in hope, freedom in trust that God is in control. We saw one other man get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus, and it was Peter. And there, what, were 11 others, something like that, that didn't ever get to experience walking on water because they were unwilling to trust the Lord and to step out on faith. Well, he was a man of boldness. Now, a lot of people would call him brash, but I would, I would call him bold. I mean, who, who dare ask God, call me out unto you and I'll walk? No other apostle stood up and said, hey, hey, you say do this and I'll do it. He's like, I want to feel extremely unsafe, but but I want to do amazing miracles, mm-hmm. and that's gonna co- that's gonna need extreme courage. That's gonna need an act of faith, and that's gonna need something that tangibly I know I have no control of. So, some of the most obscure but most amazing accounts of David's mighty men of renown. He had three or four that were outstanding. I mean, outstanding, like set apart among the 600 men that followed him. And I keep thinking of those mighty men that they had faces like that of lions, like they were terrifying in the face of the enemy. They, they would destroy a thousand men. Big beards. Oh, well, absolutely. I actually was looking at mine yesterday and I was like, wow, it's starting to look like a cat. Like I am getting woolly here. Mighty men of renown. Strike fear and terror into those enemies. Um, but I was I think of those mighty men of renown, and I, I just think of, in spite of absolute defeat, they would, in all natural means, in every account to where they were outstanding in their field of battle, they were victorious because of their courage. They were victorious because of their boldness. They went in, in the face of fear, in spite of fear, and they conquered. And when I think of those mighty men of renown, that is the prayer I pray over my boys every single night. Like, Lord, I dedicate these young men to you to be mighty men of renown that will do mighty works in your kingdom. And that is my deep desire for those boys to be giant killers, to be lion slayers, um, to be absolute, um, victorious, bold, loving men. And that's only going to come through them being deeply rooted in the their identity in Christ and who God truly is, having a deep revelation of his goodness, of his acceptance of them, of his value for them, and living a life that's reacting to that. Another verse I want to bring up, Galatians 1.10, it says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people... I would not be a servant of Christ. Ouch. So if we are worried of fear of man, it says we're not a servant of Christ. The root of people pleasing is fear of man. Yep. So when we're looking at this ultimate picture, first and foremost, it's understanding your identity. 
Second is practically trusting, believing the Word of God, even if you don't feel it, but believing it. Encourage walking out in faith like Peter did on the water. And thirdly, as I said at the beginning, the, the it's very simple. It's very, very simple, actually, that perfect love casts out fear. If the love of God is in you, you will not be afraid. And I want to read this passage in John 5. Picking up in verse 39, Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men. I don't have men's praise. I don't have men's validation. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Do you see that contrast? You don't have the love of God in you, you're trusting in the authority of men. You're trusting in your own understanding. But I do not receive the honor, the praise, the accolades of men. Rather, I have the love of God in me. And that is the, ex- the extension and the, the beauty of what it means to be a God-fearer. You're not worried about what other people think about you. You're not afraid of men. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Some of us need to take that and write it on, on our mirror. We need to write that on our mirror so that we can read it and renew our minds with it, that he doesn't want us to be dismayed. He doesn't want us to be upset or to walk in fear, but he's got a promise there to strengthen us and to uphold us. What we need to understand is not the approval of men, but what we need to understand is that the approval that God has given us is confirmed in Christ on the cross in his resurrection, as he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. In his resurrection, we have been given victory. By his death, by his stripes, he has given us approval that we always long to seek. And it's not something that we have to seek for or attain. It is something we simply have to receive and accept. And so when we let the fear of man get out of our way, we can actually do the things God has called us to do. We can change the world around us. We can share the gospel. We can operate in the gifts of the spirit in powerful ways. How many times did Jesus say your faith has made you well? It's hard to deny that there's an aspect of faith. I'm not saying people don't get healed because they don't have enough faith. We don't believe that. But there is some sort of tie to faith, or Jesus wouldn't have pointed it out so many times. God has purpose for each one of us. He has destiny for each one of us. He has good works that he's set out in advance for us to do. And we can either choose to partner with him, trust him, lean into him, heal these deep wounds inside of us where we're not understanding who we really are, and walk in boldness and faith and trust, or we can stay in the boat and we can stay what feels to be safer. We can not do big things. We can not step out. Everything that I've ever done that has led to bigger things has felt very unsafe. Starting businesses has felt very unsafe. Buying properties has felt very unsafe. Quitting working and staying home and raising my kids felt financially very unsafe. But there was such good fruit in those things. And we wouldn't be where we are spiritually, financially, emotionally, if it wasn't diving into trusting God 
and stepping out on the water. What we fail to realize is that there is no growth without discomfort. Like you can't grow. I mean, if you're going to grow your muscles, guess what you have to go through? Some discomfort. There has to be the right amount of stress, the right amount of discomfort for there to be growth. And that is true of every avenue and every aspect of every part of anyone's life. It is always going to come from discomfort. The most successful people in the secular business world, guess what? They're successful because of discomfort. They slept on the floor in their business offices until they built up an empire. They took big risks. There's always risks. There's always discomfort. I'm not advocating that, hey, we need to just focus on business and become wealthy. What I'm advocating is that if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to see the life that God has promised you actually come to fruition, it's going to come from a place where you are constantly in discomfort knowing that the comforter is with you and that you are being stretched, you are being grown, you are being matured in holiness and righteousness But that is not going to take place when you are afraid of men. Read the Bible. Is there anyone in the Bible that didn't have to live a life of risk to do powerful things for the kingdom of God? Evangelism is a risk. Praying for healing is a risk. Standing up boldness for what the Bible says is true is a risk. None of these things feel safe in our culture, but they're good, but they're beneficial but they lead us to dependence on him and he promises to care for us and protect us. Now we're not always going to be held rightly in the eyes of man. You know, even Jesus, I think of him being rejected by his own family and he was perfect. And so if the Lord of the universe was perfect and accused by the religious and accused by his own family and misunderstood by so many, who are we to think that we would get it better than him? Cause we are imperfect. We do mess up. We will be misunderstood, and that's okay. So to wrap this up, understand and know that if you have an encounter with God to truly comprehend the depth, the breadth, and the extent of his love for you and your identity in him, that if you would simply trust what he says to be true, if you would come to a place of discomfort in growth, that you would come to a place of pushing through difficulty you will find that there is light, there is abundance at the end of the storm. And so what I want to encourage you in is to pursue, persevere, and to endure as he's called us to. And what we will be delving into next week is going to be transformative, I believe, for so many believers, and that is this picture of intercession. And the spiritual power of intercession. So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.